we have sermon notes available. So, and I have uh, one other announcement uh, that I want to make. If you are a first-time guest, Pastor Joy will love to greet you. And um, uh, I don't know how many of you guys know the dwelling place, Pastor Josh Plassant's. Uh, he actually catered our, our meal for our banquet. Great church, great guy. And uh, he, wanted to, he wanted to invite all of our men out to uh, a guy's outing on Saturday, October 24th called Beef, Bacon, and Bullets. And uh, the cost is $10. And so, so it's, it's, it's centered around meat and, and uh, they're going to be shooting some guns. So uh, I cannot be at this event because I'm doing a wedding that day. But I would love for, for, uh, for you guys to, to, to go to that. I mean, it's going to be a lot of fun. The guest speaker is Danny Taylor. I don't know if you know who Danny Taylor is. He's the mate, uh, him, him and his wife. They used to come to our church. And so uh, great, great guy. Uh, that's a great church. And so this is, a, this is an event. I've got all these cards. If you need information on that, please come and see me. I'll give you some of these. So would love to, if you want to go ha- hang out and have a good time and eat meat and shoot guns, then that'll be That'll be, that'll be fun for you to do. All right, we're on a sermon series called Man That's Whack. And this is part four of our sermon series. We've talked about a lot of different things. And we are uh, almost coming to a close here on this sermon series. And uh, we've been talking about a lot of things that um, debunking false beliefs. Um, I believe our first week, Pastor Joy talked about hypergrace. And then the week following, I talked about women in ministry. Last week... Pastor Joy uh, talked about how uh, some people believe that the gifts of the Spirit have passed away. And today we're going to talk about uh, another false belief here. We're going to debunk the fact that uh, we cannot interpret the Bible literally. There are a lot of people, there are scholars out there that believe when interpreting the Bible, one must do so in a trophological or an, an allegorical sense. Okay, those are some big words. Okay, trophological means figuratively or metaphorically. So there are scholars that believe in order to interpret the Bible, that we must do it, we must interpret the Bible in an allegorical sense. Okay, while we believe, okay, that we interpret the Bible or we exegesis the Bible, say exegesis, okay, not extra Jesus, okay, or not X out Jesus, say exegesis, Exegesis, which means critical explanation or interpretation of text. We exegesis the Bible in a literal sense. Say literal sense. Okay, the word literal means, uh, it means, it's going to be up on the screen. It means taking the word in their usual or most basic sense without a metaphor or allegory. Okay, literally is exactly, precisely, actually, really, true, without question, and in, uh, uh, indisputably, yeah, there we go. I couldn't even read my own, re- my, my own handwriting. I had to look up on the screen. While allegory is defined as the expression by means of symbolic fictional figures and actions of truth, it's a symbolic representation. So literal means you basically, you take what you see is what you get, and allegorical means that it's actually fictional figures that are meant to teach a lesson. Do you guys get the difference? So if we, the, if we interpret the Bible allegorically, then it becomes just stories meant to teach us a lesson. For example, 
In Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37 through 39, and I just, I just picked this one because this is a, a scripture that we use all the time in our, in our church, and it's a scripture that I use all the time because Jesus said that the law and the prophets are based on these two commands. So, so you can sum up the whole Old Testament and New Testament on this. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest command. The second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if we were to interpret this text metaphorically, one could say, well, what Jesus was really saying was, dot, dot, dot. And then they could imply their own interpretation. Well, Jesus was saying, well, you just got to do your best. (laughs) That's why we interpret the text literally, because when Jesus said is what we believe. If he said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, he didn't say, well, just do your best. We don't believe it's a metaphoric text. We believe it's a literal text. So if Jesus says, this is what you do, then friends, what do we do? Exactly what it says. Okay? Another one here, for instance, another, this is another example. John chapter 10 and verse 9, and some people who believe in an allegorical sense will use this scripture in defense of their belief. Okay? I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and out, and they will find pasture. So somebody who interprets the text in a metaphoric or an allegoric thing would say, well, Jesus, you know, he isn't a gate, and so this is, this is symbolism. And so because it's symbolism, then we must interpret symbolically okay here we go okay we understand that jesus was not a literal gate we understand that say i understand jesus was not a literal gate okay actually what jesus was doing was he was speaking metaphorically the bible talks about jesus spoke to them in parables so if jesus is speaking metaphorically or he's speaking to them in parables that does not give us of the conclusion that we now have to interpret or exegesis the whole text as allegory. Does that make sense? Just because he was speaking metaphorically doesn't mean we interpret the whole text metaphorically. But yet that's what people believe. And that's, and that's the type of arguments that they use. Okay, so like if I was to say somebody is a chicken, okay, does that mean that they're actually a chicken? No. That is a metaphor... For what? The person is scurred, as we say in, in South Toledo. Say scurred. Say, if somebody's scared, you would call them a chicken. Okay, we, we know that they're not actually a chicken, just like we read this text and we know Jesus wasn't actually a gate. Okay? <laughs> but yet, I don't know why we, why we have this reasoning to believe that we must interpret the text in an allegorical sense. Friends, this type of interpretation of, se- of text brings confusion... And when it does this, we can just go ahead and, and, and what happens is then when we view the text, we say, well, what is it really trying to say? It really, obviously, it doesn't say what it's really saying. We need to find out what it's really trying to say. And that causes confusion and, and just gets everybody where, where now we can start interpreting this text as we see fit. And that's a scary place to be at. This type of thinking is what brings about the belief that there is no literal hell. It's funny that people don't want to believe in a literal hell, but they want to believe in a literal heaven. That's kind of funny to me. A little side note there. <laughs> side note. Okay, and these individuals would also conclude that there is no literal Satan. Only, 
an allegorical fictional character used to describe why there's evil in our world. That's what they say. Well, Satan isn't real. He's just a fictional character that was to represent evil and all this other stuff. So then, uh, I guess Jesus being tempted by the devil in Matthew chapter 4 would look something like this. Because <laughs> it's, it's a fictional story. So we had to put up our little Lego characters on the screen for you. You know, and maybe they would interpret the text and say something, well, this is just the fight that we sometimes have within ourselves. While a literal translation would say, go ahead and put the next picture up. A literal translation would say, Satan is real. He's so cunning that he would use even Scripture to try to get us to stumble. And if we interpret it in a literal sense, then we understand that 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 makes sense why the Scripture says that we must be self-controlled and alert or of sober mind. That your enemy, say your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And then the first two words in, in verse 9 is resist him. So in a metaphoric sense, we don't really believe in a Satan, so then why should we even put up a guard against his temptations? But when you believe there's a literal hell and there's a literal devil and that, and that there really is, then then this uh, uh, writing in Peter where Peter's bringing instruction makes a whole lot of sense. Why would we have to be self-controlled and alert if there is no real devil? Okay? And friends, if there is no hell and there is no eternal separation from good and evil, then Jesus died for nothing. Let me say this again. If there is no hell and there is no eternal separation from good and evil, then Jesus died for nothing. He died for nothing. Well, it's all stories meant to teach a lesson. Well, then what was the story of Jesus dying for us meant to teach us? He died for nothing. Friends, if there's no hell, then where do demons go when I cast them out and tell them to go to the abyss? Come on now. <laughs> on the real. Look at your neighbor and say, on the real. Because I don't know about you. <laughs> Where do they go if there's no hell when I cast them out? And people get set free. Some mystical place that's not really hell? <laughs> they got to go somewhere. And so if there's real demons that are really oppressing people, they get cast out of people, just like the Bible literally says, then there has to be a literal hell. Then why would we have scriptures like Luke chapter 13 and verse 28 that says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth if there's no hell? Or why would we have scriptures like Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10 where they're tormented day and night forever and ever if there is no place because that's hell? And why would the rich, man who, the rich man who was being tormented when Lazarus went to sit in Abraham's bosom, he, he asked that a messenger be sent to his family to keep them from the place where he was being tormented at when he was dead? If there's no hell, why would we have these type of accounts? And one might even say, well, hell is here on earth. <laughs> Have you ever heard that before? Look at your neighbor and say, that's dumb. 
Actually, look at your neighbor and say, man, that's whack. (laughs) Friends, your life might look like hell because of the choices you've made, but this place is far from it. (laughs) Actually, this place is paradise fallen. When God created this, He did not create this to be a place where you will be tormented day, night, forever, and ever. When God created this place, He created it perfect. He created it paradise. And it was man and woman that messed up, and then now it's fallen. So actually, this place is paradise fallen. It's not hell. It is fallen. It's far from hell. Believing that the Bible is allegorical satisfies the natural man's thinking about miracles and supernatural occurrences in Scripture. Let me say that again. Believing that the Bible is allegorical satisfies the natural man's thinking about miracles and supernatural occurrences in Scripture. Genesis really ruffles uh, feathers, especially when considering a literal creation. People that believe the Bible is allegorical, Genesis really ruffles some feathers. That's why I'm so glad we have people like Ken Ham and Answers in Genesis uh, that do a, a phenomenal job of bringing scientific explanation to a literal creation. I highly suggest you to take a trip down to Creation Museum. It's top-notch. Been there a few times. And this is my argument, friends. This is my argument to people that believe the Bible is allegorical. Why would God write a fictional novel being the most important instructions on planet Earth? Why would God write a fictional novel when it's the most important instructions on planet Earth opposed to a factual account? It doesn't make sense. Look at your neighbor and say, man, that's whack. That would be like me receiving an instruction manual to put together a desk or a bookshelf, and it gave me a metaphoric description on how to put it together. (laughs) That would not only be confusing, but it would be frustrating. The fact that it speaks plainly and I do exactly what it says in a literal fashion means I'll get the finished product of what I'm supposed to get. Why do we make things so confusing? Because there's a lot of things in the Bible that we, with our natural mind or our our natural thinking, we we, we cannot understand. And so in order for us to understand, we got to say, well, it's allegory. The same is with Scripture. When we just do what it says, that's in a literal, we don't have to piece together what we want and say, I want this and I want that. Friends, I had an an educated person tell me one time that the Bible was the most difficult read that they had ever done. The reason behind this is because people can read the Bible from an intellectual standpoint. Say intellectual standpoint. While we must read it from a spiritual standpoint. Many people read the Bible from an intellectual standpoint. Like I said, my friend who said that the Bible was the most difficult read they have ever done. Very intelligent person. While we must read it from a spiritual standpoint. For an intellectual person, it may make them feel uncomfortable when you start talking about things that are supernatural or things that cannot be explained it may make them feel uncomfortable because for for the intellectual there there there's facts well that's why again that's why i love answers in genesis and 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 the whole ministry that kim han has because he's bringing facts about the bible 
from a scientific standpoint. And he's got great debates on, uh, on, on people that are into evolution. I just highly encourage you to do some research on Ken Ham and, and that stuff. It's good stuff. Okay? There's a faith aspect that brings merit and validity to a supernatural God to whom the Bible calls spirit. John chapter 4 and verse 24 says God is natural. God is flesh. God is what? Spirit. God is spirit. And then the, the continuation of that is, so we must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So we're trying to understand the Bible who was written by God that is spirit from a fleshly, carnal, intellectual standpoint. And that's where we get confusion from, friends. And this is why the Bible says, I love what it says in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 25. This is why Jesus said this. He said, you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. That's why when Jesus, when He instructs us to pray, He says, our Father who is in heaven, what is He doing? He's placing us in a position of being what? A child. When, we come as, when, a, when a child comes, we don't have all of this, okay, we've got to reason through all of this other stuff. If a child comes, a child comes in purity, they come in humility, they come you know, just believing as it is. You, you tell a child that there's a tooth fairy, they're going to take it for the bank. My parent, my, uh, my, my parents, my kids, okay, they know that dad is, and they call me daddy tooth fairy. So when that tooth comes out, okay, we have a, a little thing that in our house where if they lose a tooth, we give them a gold dollar. Just, you know, just a fun little thing. So when they get, when their tooth, they wiggle that out and they come, they go, daddy tooth fairy, I got a tooth out. Okay, I'm going to give you your gold dollar. You know, I mean, so we're going to, we're going to grasp a hold of the concept of you getting money for a tooth, but we don't have to put a fictional character involved. It's one of the reasons why uh, my wife and I, and if you do, that's fine, that's on you, but my wife and I, we chose not to uh, teach our kids about Santa Claus. Well, for one, I want to get all my props for the money I spend on my kids, first and foremost. I don't want my kids giving giving thanks to some mystical character that doesn't exist. Why give Santa props when I spent my money on it? Can I get amen? amen. Sorry, that just makes so much sense to me. <laughs> I want my kids to open the present and come to daddy and give me a big hug. Now say, thanks, Santa. No, <laughs> I slaved for that. <laughs> say, man, that's whack. <laughs> You've hidden these things from the wise and learned. Isn't it funny that when you come, when you come to the Lord and, and you have arrogance or you have pride or you have like, like some sort of haughtiness, man, it seems like the scriptures are hidden from you. Do you know that? It seems like it is. And God does it in a, in a fashion like this because he wants us to come to him in a humble, in a humble fashion. I love what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 27. It says this. It says, but God has chose the foolish things, say foolish things, of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. So God uses the things that would be considered foolish. <laughs> you know, we could actually rename Vision Ministries as the foolish things, church. 
<laughs> because, yeah, I mean, I mean, when I when I look at my own self and I look at where I've come from, I'm like, God, you didn't you didn't choose the cream of the crop. You didn't choose, you know. I mean, and and God does use those people. You know, He God grabs a hold of of CEOs and business owners and all these people, and He uses them for His glory in powerful, amazing, incredible ways. Okay. But when I look at my life and I look at this church, I'm like, man, God, this is the foolish things church. Because this was birthed out of foolish things. So God uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. So God can use, if he can use me, he can use you. And he uses the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Because we, uh, we serve the Lord that it's, it's a backwards kingdom. That's why he says, if you want to be great, then you have to be a servant. And if you want to be exalted, then you have to humble yourself. I mean, it's, it's kind of backwards in the sense. It's not about you pushing everybody aside for you to get ahead. No, in order for you to get ahead, you've got to put other people's in front of you. It's backwards. It's kind of, a, kind of a concept that we don't really always associate with our modern-day world. When I began to first respond to God and I started reading the Bible, man, it was tough. I couldn't even understand it. I'm like, man, I want to... There was this desire inside of me that wanted more of God, but man, I was trying to read it, and I was like, man, I don't understand what this means. And I remember, I prayed to the Lord. I said, God, I want to understand what you're talking about in this thing, because I don't understand anything. Anybody uh, first trying to read the Bible kind of in the same sense, like, man, this is tough. I don't understand what this is really trying to say. And I remember, I prayed. I said, God, I need understanding. God, I want to understand what you're trying to say here, because I'm not getting this. And isn't it amazing, on Wednesday we were just talking about this in 1 James, or in James chapter 1, that he says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask the Father, and he will give it to you, what? Without finding fault. And so what does he do? God, it's almost like he opens up our eyes and opens up our understanding to the Scriptures. And so when you start to read the Bible, you realize, wow, it's living. It's active. I can apply this to my life. This is beginning to make sense to me. But for the natural man, if you're trying to read the Scriptures without, without insight, without revelation from the Spirit of God, then, friends, you can understand it. And so for, in order for you to understand it, you've got to say, well, I've got to interpret this in a metaphoric sense. These are just stories. And, and, and then there's, there's, there's tons of people that believe, well, well Jonah really couldn't have been in a whale for three days, and, and Moses really couldn't have part of and all of these different type of things. I don't know about you, but literal translation, if God says it, I believe it, that settles it. If God said Jonah was in the fish for three days, you can take it to the bank that Jonah was in a fish for three days. And even some scholars believe the reason why they were able, able to accept the message that Jonah brought to them was because that they because he stunk like fish. <laughs> I mean, I think you'd smell like fish if you were in a belly of a whale for three days or a large fish. And then you go to like the Creation Museum, and they actually give scientific, uh, actual accounts on how that could really happen. A person could survive inside for three days. They could. Oh, you're no. I mean, come on. G- give me some proof. Give me some evidence. You know, we have, to be, we have to be willing to say, God, you know, I'm tired of, of allowing 
other influences to, to dictate what I believe. What happens is when people, when they start looking to all these outside sources instead of looking at the main source, the Bible, for all your answers. Friends, I'm telling you, this is the B-I-B-L-E, the basic instructions before leaving earth. It's all you need for, for, for life and godliness. You don't need this and you don't need that and you don't need uh, this type of letter that wasn't accounted for and that other type of letter. You don't need all of these things because when you start, when you start adding all of these other things, it's going to bring confusion because when we have people that, when they set aside the New Testament, they did it in a manner that, that they had to have documentation that had proof like the, the text had to match other texts. And so if there was a book of Enoch or a book of Silas or all of these other books, they, they disre- they, those were disregarded because they didn't have validity. And so God is good in the fact that, you know what, he knows exactly what we need. And that's why I'm so glad that God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Friends, that's why we got to stop trying to, to, to find uh, all of our answers in this and that. And I'll tell you what, there's so much garbage out there. Say so much garbage. The internet is filled with all types of junk. I mean, there are, there are, I mean people are making up their own beliefs on a daily basis and posting them for people to, to read. Okay, the, the authoritative rule of faith and conduct, the Bible, has been around for thousands and thousands of years. You can take it for the bank. And people are coming up with ideas and philosophies that are, only, that are, that are 10, 15, 100 years old. I don't know about you. What, would you. what would you rather prove as proof? The Bible that's been around and that, is, and that has lasted for, for, for a, a millennia or ideas that people are coming up with nowadays? The Bible even says it. It says, thinking that they were wise, they became fools. So I don't know about you. I'm going to believe the Bible and all that it has to say. And if you're in a place in here and you lack understanding, we need to be men and women that are willing to humble ourselves and say, God, I need your word to be alive and active in my life. And God, I need your word. I need your word to speak to me. God, I need your word to, to, to instruct me. The Bible says, it says for For all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And God wants us equipped for every good work. But we got to believe His Bible for what it is and that every word in there is breathed by Him. Would you stay on your feet with me? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, God, for how good you are. Lord, we thank you, God, for your, for your word. God, it's powerful. God, it's changed my life for the past 17 years. And God, it's changed many people's lives that, that's in this house right here, right now. Because, God, it is powerful. And, God, it is authoritative. And, Lord Jesus, we thank you that, God, that we don't have to look beyond the Scriptures for answers. God, you've given us everything we need right from cover to cover. God, from Genesis to Revelation, Lord, that can bring encouragement, strength, grace, peace to our hearts and our lives. And God, we want to be men and women.
that are filled with your word, Lord Jesus. Even when Jesus was tempted by the enemy, the enemy, he shifted and, 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 and manipulated scripture for his own selfish gain to try to get Jesus to stumble. And Jesus fought off Satan with the word of God. So Father, we know, God, we got to be filled with your word. God, we got to have your word alive in our hearts. And if we're in this place today and, and we found ourselves reading the word and finding ourselves being bored with it, or perhaps we've tried reading the word and, and, and it's complicated for us to understand. Can we just ask the Lord this morning and say, Lord, help me to understand your word. God, give me understanding. Give me revelation. Lord, would you speak through your word to me in a powerful way? God, I want to be a man of God. I want to be a woman of God that honors you, that lives for you. And Lord, and I don't believe that the Word is just stories meant to teach a lesson. God, I believe Your Word in a literal sense. God, that when You say, I must love my neighbor as I, as I love myself, God, that we can take that to the bank. God, that when You say we're to love You with all of our heart, God, we can take that to the bank. Jesus, we ask Father, would you help us? God, we're, we're living in a world that needs answers. And Father, you've given them to us. God, we're living epistles. God, would you help us to live in such a manner? Could you just ask them, say, God, I need to live in such a manner that will bring strength and hope and life to those that are around me. Do you know God wants to use you today? Do you know that? It's not about this building. It's not about, it's not about me, Pastor Joy. God wants to use you. He wants to use you in a powerful demonstration of his grace and his mercy and his love. He wants to use you to be hope and answers and life. There are people around you all day long that are hurting, broken, confused, depressed, suicidal, broken. He needs you. Will you be willing to be his hands and feet? If you are today, would you stretch your hand up in a, in a, in a sign of receiving or in a sign of surrender and say, God, here I am. Use me. As Moses said, Lord, teach me your ways that I might understand your truth. Now, Father, we thank you for every individual in this house. Father, whether they're at a workplace, God, whether, Lord, whether they're, they're in a place of employment or in school or in the neighborhood, God, McDonald's, Wendy's, Walmart. God, I thank you Lord Jesus, for God, every person in this house that's willing to say yes to you, that you would use in a powerful demonstration of your grace. Father, we thank you, God. Lord, you, you don't need people that are perfect. God, you just need people that are willing. So, Father, thank you for equipping us with your word, enabling us to be willing, and helping us to follow the marching orders of our King and our Savior. Father, we want to bless you today. 
God, we want to say we love you today. And God, we say thank you for all that you've done for each and every one of us. Thank you. Thank you for your mercies that are new in my life. Thank you. Thank you for another day that I can have to express my love and affection towards you and those that, God, that you've put around me. God, help me not to waste this precious gift that you've given me. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. All right, friends, God bless you. If you've got to be released, you can go ahead and do that. If you would like for us to join and pray with you, we have a team of our leaders. We would love to do that. We'll join and pray with you about whatever you're going through. Perhaps you need some encouragement. You need healing in your body. We would love to pray with you if you come on up. If not, if you're a first-time guest, please make sure that you go back to our, our table and get one of our gift bags and greet Pastor Joy. God bless you. Friends, enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Have a great day.